whether you go up north and east, but I suppose you can go up north and just go up north or keep going up north, and, and if you're an upper peninsula person, the reason that you go up north is probably the same, and that's to get a little bit of a rest or retreat, just like our video there talked about, to get away from it all and to find a little bit of peace and calm where we could slow down, where we can relax, where we can sit around the bonfire, where we can visit with family, where we can uh, cook up a few s'mores, and we did that last week when we were up north ourselves. But it really points out the fact that most of us in our day-to-day lives don't live like that. We don't have a lot of quiet. We don't have a lot of peace. We don't have a lot of calm. We don't have a lot of uh, respite or even retreat that we find. Instead, our, mark, our lives are marked by busyness and, and by chaos and by hecticness, if that's a word. I just made that up. But it's a lot of crazy stuff that's going on in our lives that are keeping us busy and occupied and sometimes keeping us anxious and tearing us up on the inside and creating actually a lot of turmoil. And so it points out when we start talking about up north that we have these issues. The problem is, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but if you've got a lot of inner unrest or a lot of inner turmoil, it tends to travel. And you can go up north and you can park yourself there at the campfire or whatever, and you can sometimes push it out of your mind, and sometimes you can't. And sometimes you're just sitting there and you should be enjoying your experience, but it's like, oh no, in three days I have to go back. Or, oh no, I wonder if, if this is getting taken care of at the office. Or, oh no, I know that I've got this situation and I just, and you can't even put it out of your mind because it's got you stirred up. And sometimes it travels And even if it doesn't travel, when you get back to real life, back here where we live, we find that all of the unrest and all of the stress and all of the turmoil in whatever comes back to us. So the question is this morning, what is it that's got you churning inside? What is it that's got you a little bit anxious, or maybe it's got you distracted, or what is it that's causing a lot of stress in your story? See, when Jesus went up north, he didn't go up north to find peace. He went up north to bring peace. And he went up north to bring peace to people like you, and to bring people like me, to bring peace to people like a guy in the story who desperately needed peace. And actually, if we expand the story to a lot of people in the story who needed some peace. And he went up north to a town that's called Gersa, as near as we could tell. And maybe that's not a name that's familiar to you as we look at the at the Bible. But the story shows up in Luke chapter 8. And so we're going to go there in just a minute. And we're going to go up north with Jesus and hopefully find a little bit of peace. But I thought since we're into this a little bit, I've been gone for the last couple of weeks, maybe we could revisit where we've been so far on our up north journeys. Our first thing we talked about the first week was just why did Jesus go to Galilee when Judea, Jerusalem, was the religious hot spot of the day and Jesus uh, didn't go there. Instead, he went north up into Galilee. There's several reasons for that. First of all, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah said that in chapter Isaiah 9, that, that, the, that the Messiah would come, but that he would uh, minister in the, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is actually this Galilee region up here. It was also to keep him out of the limelight, and uh, it, it was really less stress on him as far as opposition from the religious leaders of the day. We also talked about the fact that 
part of it was there was more need up here. And uh, he went up to, to this place. There was less religious influence. And actually, there were more Gentiles up here. So several reasons that Jesus went up north. But we talked about the second week as he went to the Sea of Galilee. And the very first thing that we see happen as Jesus goes up north is he calls his discipleship. And so week two of our series was just talking about this idea of discipleship. And then we tacked in a little thought at the end there. As far as sometimes we have places where we go to reconnect with Jesus. And I think the Sea of Galilee was a place like that for Peter. Our first stop was actually over here in a town called Cana, a wedding at Cana. And a great truth there, whatever it is that you run out of, in their case they ran out of wine, but whatever it is that you run out of, Jesus can provide that and fill that up for you. The next week, uh, the travels were down here to Nazareth, Jesus' uh, hometown. Chris talked about that. and talked about this idea of rejection. And we deal with that so many times in our life. And then, the last time I was here, was down here in Nain. And Jesus and Cana had gone to a wedding down here in Nain. He went to a funeral. And actually brought hope into a person's life. And we talked about this idea of compassion and dealing with vulnerable people and identifying those people in our world and reaching out to them. The last two weeks, Pastor Mark has talked about Capernaum here. And this is where Jesus' headquarters were, and a lot of his teaching ministry actually took place in Capernaum there. And uh, he talked, Mark talked two weeks ago about the Sermon on the Mount in Kingdom Living, and then last week he talked about the Kingdom Parables. If you can follow along in your growth guide, you went through all those Kingdom Parables last week. So this is where our tour has been. So we started the Sea of Galilee, went to Cana, Nazareth, Maine, Capernaum. Today we go all the way down here, and I mentioned the name Gersa, and this is the name that you might be more familiar with here, is Gadara. And Gadara was a city, this is actually in what we call Decapolis. Galilee would have been more this region to the west, for all of you West Michigan people, all right? Decapolis would have been a little bit more like the East Michigan here, and it was more of a Gentile area. Decapolis, there were 10 cities in Decapolis, they were left over from the Grecian Empire. And uh, Gadara was one of these. And Gadara was like a region as well. Gersa, I want to flip to the next uh, slide here. Gersa would have been up here on the coast, actually, about five miles from Gadara. So Gadara would have been the big city of the day. Gersa would have been a little fishing village here, potentially. And so I just point this out because it's going to fit into what we're talking about in the story here. So this is our journey up north here, where Jesus didn't go to find peace, but Jesus actually went to bring peace. And so if you're with me in Luke chapter 8, verse number 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got a boat and they set out. So we'll back up here to Capernaum is where Jesus would have been speaking, saying, let's go to the other side of the lake. So this makes sense here. He goes to this area of the lake is where he's heading out. Now, when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, they got in a boat and they set out, it tells us that he was going on a trip. And it tells us that he was going somewhere on purpose and he was going to a specific destination. That's important to keep in mind here as we look at this story. So this story starts right here in verse number 22 as Jesus starting out on a trip down towards this area, this, the greater area called Gadara, or to this smaller visit, or, or a village rather, Gersa. And it says, as they sailed, he fell asleep. Verse number 23. 
And a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up and he rebuked the wind in the raging waters. And Mark tells us as he recounts the story that he said what? Peace be still. And the storm subsided and all was calm. And Jesus said to the disciples, where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this that commands even the winds and the waters that they obey him? But then they sailed on to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And I think this is where they were going all along. And so this story of the storm at sea was an interruption of what Jesus was planning in the first place. And often we talk about this story of, of the storm at sea and the story we're about to read here as two separate stories when they're actually part of the same story and they're very much intertwined. And before we're done this morning, you can see how these two stories, actually one story with two parts, fits together. But they get to this area and it says, they sail to this region of the Gerasenes. That's not talking about a geographic location, it's talking about people. The Gerasenes were the people from this village of Gersa, or Mark says actually the Gadarenes, which they were from the, the bigger area of Gadara. To, to put it into our terms, it would be a little bit like saying this, the Gerasenes would be like saying I'm a, you know, a Clarkstonite or a Waterfordy or whatever term we have, where the Gadara or the Gadarenes would be like I'm a Detroiter. And we do this. Like if you travel, people will say, where are you from? I usually say Detroit. And then they say, well, we're in Detroit. Well, like Waterford or Clarkston, or White Lake, or where you happen to be. It would be the same thing in this situation. Where are you from? I'm from Gadara. Well, where in Gadara? Well, from Gersa. So that gives you a little idea how this fits together. But in, uh, it, we keep reading here. Jesus stepped ashore. He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or had lived in a house. So he used to have a house in town, but he hadn't lived there in a long time. Instead, he lived in the tombs. Mark, in his gospel, gives us a little bit more detail about this guy. It says that he would cry out in the hills. So he'd run through these tombs and these hills, and he would shriek. And it was terrifying even to hear him. And he'd say, Mark tells us also that he would cut himself with stones. Matthew tells us in his gospel that he was so violent that people couldn't pass that way for fear of being hurt by this man. And so put yourself in the disciples' shoes, I guess. Jesus pulls up on the, on the shore there, they hop out of the boat, and the first thing that comes at you is this crazy man who's unclothed, who's probably screaming and shrieking. And I don't know if the disciples were feeling really bold because, you know, Jesus had just calmed the storm. Or if they were being really scared. So whether they jumped in front of Jesus to protect him, like we got this, or whether they were all cowering behind him, like, uh, what's going on here? My guess is they were all, you know, bunched up behind him, like, what's going on here? But this is why Jesus had come, to actually meet this man. And when the man saw Jesus, verse number 28, he cried out and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, 
And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under the guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. And so we see another thing that this guy is dealing with, this social isolation. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. And this is a reference to the final judgment that these demons know that they're going to face someday and they're just begging Jesus, don't bring it on any sooner than it has to be. It says a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And sometimes we look at this story and say, well, why do they have pigs in Israel? Weren't they Jews? They didn't eat pork. This was Decapolis. This was a Gentile region. Remember, these were Grecian cities. So it makes sense that there were pigs here. But the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town in the countryside, and the people went out to see it. And if they went back to Gadara, it was probably a couple hours to get back to there. It's going back to Gersa, still would have taken them some time. But in the meantime, things change. And so when they get back, and I think this is really key to the story, when they get back, these herdsmen and the town people that come with the herdsmen, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. And he was sitting at Jesus' feet. And he was dressed, and he was in his right mind. And this man who had been tortured, who ran through the hills shrieking, who cut himself, injured himself, and threatened everybody else, this man was experiencing peace in his story for the first time in a very, very long time. The story goes on and says the people who came out were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, that all the people of the region of the garrisons asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus got into the boat and left. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Oh, return home. And I just love that right there. Return home. Can you imagine that day when maybe it was his wife or maybe it was his kids or maybe his parents, I don't know, to see him walking back down the street, clothed, with this guy that they probably hadn't seen for a long time. But he returned home. And he told everybody all over town how much Jesus had done to him. And so this is a crazy story in so many ways. We have this crazy storm that comes up. And, and we have this crazy response to the storm where somebody can actually say to a storm, peace be still, and the whole storm is calm. And we see this crazy man who comes out of the hills to meet them. And we see a crazy miracle take place. And then we see these crazy results where pigs end up in the sea and where people, instead of inviting Jesus to stay, are inviting Jesus to leave. But in the midst of all of this craziness, there's a whole lot of peace. And this story, I believe, is about finding peace. So what can we learn from this story that will help us in our story to find peace as well? Let me start with this. First of all, we need to be aware. And we need to be aware that the spirit world is real. 
And sometimes I think we forget this, but we live so much in what we can see and what we can experience, what we can touch, feel, taste, hear. But there's a world that exists, the world of the supernatural, the world of angels and demons, and they are real. And in that world, there's a battle that rages. And it's a battle between good and evil. And it's a battle that rages, but it often affects us. Because the battle is God against Satan, good against evil. But oftentimes we get pulled into that, especially by Satan himself. And so we don't always recognize these forces of evil, but they are around us and they do have impact on us. And even as Christ followers, we're not exempt. It's not like that just affects people who don't know Jesus. It affects all of us. And Paul talks about this, Peter talks about this in, in their epistles, where we need to be aware of what's going on in our world. And we are affected by this war that's happening, and, and we use the term often spiritual warfare. It is a real thing. In the world in which we live, there's more than what you just see and touch and feel. There's a world that exists here, and there's a world that's warring, and you're in the scopes. And you're in, in the sight of what's happening sometimes. And this battle oftentimes affects us in ways that we don't even realize. And I believe sometimes it starts to cause the turmoil that we experience inside of us. It's not where we stop to think about, oh, well, that's why this is happening. But when we think about this fact that we have evil out there and this evil is trying to affect us, we're going to feel that sometimes. Second thing to be aware of here is that we have an enemy. And the enemy is Satan, and he wants to do us harm. Peter says in his epistle, be self-controlled and alert, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Paul tells us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil and his schemes. Well, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but we struggle against these rulers, authorities, powers of dark world, and these spiritual forces in evil and heavenly realms. And so we are told that there is an enemy that's out there, and we need to stand and be on guard and be prepared for that. So we need to be aware. But I think the thing that we need to be aware of most of all is that the enemy is not our friend. And I think sometimes in our world we characterize the uh, the enemy. And we make him a little red guy with horns and whatever, and it becomes a little bit of a joke to us. And I think we need to be reminded sometimes that it's not a joke. He's not our friend. He's not just a guy who's gotten a bad rap. He is the source of all evil. And so when you think of all of the evil in the world, and there's a lot of evil in our world, he's the source of it. When you talk about these abuse stories, or you talk about trafficking, or you talk about any of these things, he is where that comes from. And we need to be aware of that. And he doesn't have our best interests in mind. And he's not trying to show us a good time. He's trying to lead us into a place where we will experience what actually are his goals here. Where we will experience destruction. Think about all that was destroyed in this guy's story here, who's living out in the tombs. His relationship with his family has been destroyed. His, his mental well-being has obviously been destroyed. He's actually physically destroying himself. His family is all messed up and destroyed. 
There's all this destruction that's going on. He's naked. He's lost his dignity. That's been destroyed. He's chained. He's lost his freedom. That's been destroyed. And the enemy's goal is to destroy us. And he'll use whatever he can to do that. His goal is also to put us into bondage. The saddest part about this story, I think, is that this guy is no longer in control of himself. There's other forces, there's other things in his story that are now controlling him. And that's what the enemy wants to do, to destroy us, to put into bondage, and then to cause turmoil in our stories. This man is experiencing a living hell and it's going on inside of him. And I don't know how many people that would describe in today's world, but I think it, it's some. And even if we wouldn't describe our own worlds as a living hell, we could sometimes describe our worlds as craziness or distress or pain or inner turmoil. And that's the enemy's goal. I think one other thing we need to be aware of is our tactics. I doubt very much that this guy got up one day and said, you know what, I'm tired of living here in town. I'm going to the tombs. And I'm just going to, you know, find a In fact, I'm tired of these clothes. I'm just getting rid of them. It, it didn't work that way. Somewhere, this guy, little by little, moved from town to the tombs. One step at a time. And I would say that to all of us. We need to be careful. We need to be aware of this is what the enemy is trying to do in our stories. And we could take the obvious, and, and there's a lot of the, the darkness in our world and the occult and all of those things. Stay away from that stuff. Run. Hide. But it's not always that stuff. Sometimes it's the, the less obvious things where we get tripped up, the subtle. Most of us don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to run around and, and scream and act wild and crazy. But what we do is we get up one day and there's a temptation or there's an opportunity or something that comes up and we make a choice, and it moves us from here to here. And then we make the next choice, and it moves us here. And we make the next choice, and it moves us to here. And eventually we end up out in the tombs and no longer in town because of these small choices that we make along the way. Small compromises, maybe. Winking at sin or saying, you know what, I'm just going to do that, and then I'll ask God to forgive me after I do that. And they'll still love me, right? Well, yes, he will. And will he forgive you? Yes, he will. But in that moment, you change. And there's no guarantee that you're going to come back. And in that moment, you change, and that makes it easier for you to take the next step. And we get ourselves in trouble with that. We listen to the wrong people sometimes. And somebody will say something, and we're like, well, you know what? You're right. That makes more sense. And I'm not sure that what the Bible here says here really does make that much sense. And I'm going with you. And step by step, sometimes it's just simply where we fill our lives with all kinds of things and we push God to the margins, and we move from the town towards the tombs. We fail to make the spiritual a priority, or we don't deal with something. A situation comes up, or we do, we start making excuses for ourselves, or we hold on to things that we need to let go of. There are all these things and they seem like no big deal. But I take that step, and I'm that much closer to the tomb. And some of it is just where we expose ourselves to wrong thinking, 
and we stop challenging those thoughts. And the once becomes twice, and the twice becomes three times, and we move ourselves without even realizing it, and we give in to the enemy without even understanding that's going on, and we get ourselves into places of destruction, bondage, and turmoil. Sometimes it's through destructive thought patterns. If the enemy comes and we're like, we think that thought, and the next day we think that thought again and we become negative, or, or we, we think that thought of self-pity, or we think that thought of, of cynicism, and we little by little mentally get ourselves in bad places. It's the enemy. Sometimes it's just in our dysfunction, where we procrastinate, or, or where, where we manipulate, or where we do something and it works for us. We, we, we throw a tenth of a tantrum and we get our way, and we, it works for us, but it keeps moving us down this path right here. Sometimes it's just the addictions, where we just do something and we do it again, and then we do it again, and then we do it again, and that, and that thing becomes an addiction until where we're actually bound by that. But typically, it's a step-by-step process. And what we do is a little at a time, is we give the enemy space. And then we give him a little more space. And then we give him a little more space. And then we give him a little bit more space. But the more space we give to the enemy, we sacrifice peace. Because he never brings peace into our soul. And so I think a question for us this morning is like, why do I have this turmoil? Could it be because I have given the enemy space? Because I have just taken this step, and taken this next step, and taken this next step. It's at least worth considering. So we need to be aware of these things. But let me say this. We need to be aware, but we don't need to be three things here this morning. First of all, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of the enemy and we don't need to be afraid of his charges. He's powerful. The spiritual world is powerful. The, the demons are powerful. But if you look at this story, they ran to Jesus in, in, in possession of this man. And what did he do? He fell at Jesus' feet. And it wasn't in worship. He fell at Jesus' feet in submission. He came in fell because those spirits living inside him were subject to the king of the universe. And they had no choice but to fall. And if you notice in that story, when Jesus cast them out, they begged him, please send us into the pigs, because he was the authority in this situation. And I think it's a good reminder to us. Sometimes we hear these things and we hear some of the creepy stories or whatever, and it creates fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be stupid, but don't be afraid. We have a God who is all-powerful and way more powerful than the forces of evil. I love this verse here. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Do you like the picture of this? Where Jesus says, if, if I drive out demons by finger, that's all it takes for me to win victory here. What a great encouragement that should be. And so sometimes we see and hear these things and we become afraid. We can let go of fear. And we can let go of defeat too. Jesus wins. Jesus wins in this story and he can win in your story too. 
whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether it's the negative thought patterns or an addiction or just the inner turmoil that you might be going through, Jesus can win in your story and he can break bondage. And he comes into our story and he comes into our lives and he comes into our hearts and he comes into our minds and he helps us to think differently as well. But we don't need to be defeated. Great verse here. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and see what happens here. He will flee. And sometimes we make it like, well, I don't know if I can ever win over these forces of evil. Yes, you can. It is as simple as resisting because as we resist, the power of God is at work in our stories. And we can see this forces of evil or the forces of turmoil dissipated and defeated. And then we need to be aware but not distressed. Remember, this is a two-part story, especially as Luke tells us. He's making a single point. And the single point is that we can have peace. And so we start with the first story. Jesus gets in the boat and they go on into the sea and the storm comes up and Jesus says what to the storm? Peace, be still. And it all comes down. And then we get to the other side there, to, to the Gadara or Gersa. And we see not the storm at sea, but we see the storm inside of somebody. And once again, what does Jesus say? He says, peace, be still. And sometimes the storms that we experience in life are external. And they cause the havoc that we experience internally because of all these crazy things that are happening around us. And if that's the case in your story, Jesus is the one who could say, peace, be still. And sometimes, though, the storms are going on inside of us. And it, it might be because of what's going on outside of us, and it might not be. But Jesus can say, peace, be still. There was an old song that I was out, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 years ago, but I love a phrase in it. It says, sometimes Jesus calms a storm, sometimes he calms his child. We can experience peace, whether we need it in the external, whether we need it in the internal. He is the God who brings peace. So when you find yourself in the storm, he can bring peace. When you find the storm in you, he can bring peace. He says this in John 16, 30. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So the question is, do you have peace this morning? You could head up north and try to find some. And it might help you for a few days. But I think you will find eventually that peace isn't found in a place, it's found in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you're struggling with peace in your story, I guess I would ask, why don't you have peace? Because this is what Jesus wants to give us. Maybe you don't have peace because of the storm around you, where you need to say, you know what? I don't need to be afraid of the storm. This is the God who takes care of us. But maybe you don't have peace because there's some issue that you haven't dealt with in your life and it's tearing you up. And you need to take that step. But you've been afraid to take that step because you didn't know what comes next. Well, this is the God who rules over everything. And He can help you. Maybe there's not peace in your story because there's a thought pattern that you just need to change. Maybe there's some area of your life where you've been playing 
with the wrong things, or where you've been taking those steps to take you from the town to the tomb. Maybe you need to just simply resist the devil. Maybe you need to get some help. But the hope this morning is that whatever's going on, you don't have to go up north to find peace. You simply need to go to Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who brings peace into our story.